Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Justin Spellhog. Justin is the general manager of technology for social impact at Microsoft. Justin, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. I am really looking forward to jumping in uh, to this particular topic with you, discussing what Microsoft is up to uh, as far as AI for humanitarian action. But before we do that, share a little bit about your background and how you got uh, to working in this field. Yeah, uh, well, I've 21 years at a single company, if that may be a record these days, at Microsoft. (laughs) Wonderful company. uh, And I've done many different things. I've worked in Microsoft Research, I've worked in Asia in our field, I've worked in uh, operations. But all throughout my career, I've been kind of the uh, chief social business advocate, agitator, uh, depending on who you are, and and pushing always to find a way uh, to create that nexus between technology, scalable business models, uh, and social impact uh, in, in the private sector context. And so I'm very pleased to be doing what I'm doing today. Uh, born and raised in Washington, uh, a United States Marine, proudly served, uh, University of Washington for the Huskies out there listening to this. Uh, and just real glad to be here. Fantastic, fantastic. So technology for social impact, you're a general manager, that means that's a, a business unit of sorts or a business unit period. Uh, what is that organization all about at Microsoft. Yeah, so this business unit uniquely sits within Microsoft Philanthropies. Okay. And the focus is to help mission-driven organizations like nonprofits in the United Nations, the World Bank, uh, use technology to advance their missions and to advance their impact. Um, what's a little unique about our group uh, in the industry are three key things. Um, first is that we bring together philanthropies technology and sales, commercial models, to support these mission organizations, nonprofits, on an end-to-end basis for the full spectrum of their needs. Second, we've got a pretty deep innovation strategy, building new technologies uh, in the area of AI, which we'll talk about, but also in the area of dynamics, uh, collaboration, uh, Azure core services for nonprofits. And third, we're a social business. And so all of the profit we generate, all the incremental profit this team generates, is uh, reinvested back into more impact, more services and support for nonprofits, more cash grants and donations to our philanthropies team. And so artificial intelligence, how long has the organization been working with uh, its uh, constituent organ, you know, customer organizations on AI-related work? Well, as you know, at Microsoft, we've been working on AI since 1991 or longer. It's always been in uh, Bill's mind uh, as we, as we uh, set up Microsoft Research. Our AI for good initiative, so the social-facing mm-hmm. side of this, uh, was launched about 18 months. And the first initiative there was AI for Earth, uh, followed by AI for accessibility, uh, and then most recently launched last September at the United Nations General Assembly was AI for humanitarian action. Combined, that's a uh, $115 million investment that Microsoft is making across all three of those pillars uh, over the next five years to, to dr- try to drive impact. Uh, and so why do you think AI is important for these types of organizations? Yeah, I think it's important uh, first, if, you're, uh, if you'll indulge me, to step back 
on kind of what's the broader context of the social issues that the world is, is facing today. Um, so we'll, we'll detour there for one moment, and then I'll come back to that question more mm -hmm. precisely. Um, today, in the last 20 years, uh, we've seen nearly a billion people move out of poverty. The international poverty line is defined as $1.90 per day. And those billion people came uh, largely in China, largely in India, on the, on the back of some really great economic success. And that's pretty amazing, right? But still, there's 800 million people that live under $1.90 per day. There's 124 million of those people that have severe food insecurity, life-threatening food insecurity each and every day. Um, and those issues combined with some really uh, challenging geopolitical issues have created the biggest crisis in refugees and internally displaced people that we've seen since World War II with 68 million, I know you're close to those issues, 68 million people today without a place to call home, displaced. Um, and when you step back and say, what's the world's answer to these problems? We look to the sustainable development goals, right? These are the things that were defined by uh, the, the world and the United Nations to really paint the picture that we want to see by 2030, uh, whether it's equality or eliminating poverty, um, uh, justice and rights. All of these issues are part of the sustainable development goals. The problem is this. It costs between five and seven trillion dollars a year to fund these goals. And we've got about a 2.5 trillion dollar shortfall in funding these goals. And so we're not making progress in addressing these humanitarian disasters that are unfolding right in front of us today, the environmental disasters that are unfolding right in front of us today. And government is part of the solution, but they can't stretch to cover that full 2.5 trillion dollars. Business has to step up. Mm -hmm. And while we don't have all of the answers at Microsoft, we're trying to shift from a world of corporate social responsibility that may be more narrowly defined to a world of total social impact. We're building at the core of our business model the ability to innovate, serve nonprofits, and create new innovations like AI for humanitarian action that get right at these issues and, and help organizations unlock challenges. So let me provide one example and then we can dive more deeply into how AI is applied in this specific context that I'm talking about. Um, going back to that, that food crisis and uh, hunger crisis, um, the World Bank uh, is chartered with uh, providing funding to communities that are, uh, you, you know, have a, a food, insecu food insecurity and famine issues. We're working with the World Bank uh, to use our AI models, AI engines, and, and tuning their models, bringing together environmental data, socioeconomic data, population data, geopolitical data, um, to help predict food insecurity at a community level and determine which communities are most at risk uh, to reaching a food insecure state or even reaching you know, full-blown famine before it happens. If we can do that, if the World Bank can do that more precisely, they're able to release funding ahead of a disaster and save some lives. And that's how the power of technology, uh, leveraging our resources within you know, Azure Cognitive Services, our, research from my, our resources from Microsoft Research, and combining that with World Bank teams 
to solve this problem can have a powerful and transformative impact on these kinds of issues. Do you have a sense for what an engagement like that looks like? Uh, who are you engaging with at the World Bank? What types of uh, information sources are you using to help create the AI uh, that helps uh, drive these predictions? Yeah, you know, the World Bank is um, getting ever more uh, sophisticated in how they're engaging the private sector in, the, in these kinds of ways. And there, there are some roles in the World Bank uh, precisely chartered to work with Microsoft and other private sector companies and figure out how we get the most out of their resources. So that's the entry point where they frame up a problem uh, and they ask, you know, how can we help solve that problem? And are we willing to not only provide some free computing capacity, mm -hmm. but more importantly, provide the data scientists necessary to help improve the quality and the predictive uh, accuracy of the models? Um, we put a proposal together, get that proposal on the table, uh, and and then form a strategic partnership. That process, just to be clear, takes you know takes some time to really map out um, what is the problem, what resources do they have, how can we augment those resources in a way that's most effective. In this particular case, the World Bank uh, is asking for help with. Um, model tuning effective in their in their in their ML models uh, to improve the predictive accuracy of the data that they already have and the models that they already have. They just don't have the accuracy where they want it to be yet. Um, and so that's how we're engaging. And so we're bringing to bear resources that are experts in that area uh, to supplement the World Bank team and help them get uh, get that over the goal line. One other thing that's important to note about this particular project and is unique in the industry is that the World Bank is not only pulling from Microsoft, um, but they're also asking Google to step up, uh, AWS to step up. And it's an interesting uh, collaboration, in fact, between all three companies as we work to help them solve this problem. Um, these problems are bigger than any one brand or any one company, and we have to learn how to collaborate effectively together with organizations like the World Bank to solve problems that, frankly, uh, impact human lives. Mm -hmm. So maybe taking a step back from this particular application, is there a way that you categorize the various types of applications that you get involved yeah. in under the banner of humanitarian action? Yeah. So in the area of humanitarian action, we've identified four core scenarios uh, that we want to focus on. Um, the first is disaster response, you know, essentially helping uh, forecast disaster before it happens. That was the example I provided, but also helping first responders uh, respond more precisely and effectively uh, when disasters occur. The second uh, is needs of children. And there's a range of issues we're focused on there from healthcare to protection and support. Uh, third is uh, protecting refugees. Uh, and helping organizations that are serving refugees, like the Norwegian Refugee Council or the Danish Refugee Council or the UN, scale their services more effectively. Uh, and then the fourth is promoting respect uh, for human rights. And we're very involved with uh, topics like disrupting human trafficking, uh, which your listeners may know is uh, one of the largest criminal industries in the world today uh, and, and is, a, is a real challenge. All three of those, all four, all, all four of those areas, we have examples we can talk about. Yeah, let's do that. The refugee one is of particular interest to me since 
2010, I've sat on a board of a local organization right. in St. Louis, right. the International Institute, which is one of 100 or so affiliates of the U.S. Committee for Refugees and Immigrants uh, and is one of the organizations that uh, – assist in the resettling of refugees into the St. Louis area. So, uh, and as a, you know, a child of an immigrant, uh, it's always been a a passion point for me. What what are some of the applications of AI to uh, addressing the the issues of, that are faced by refugees around the world, really? Yeah, I'll give you two examples. Um, One that's kind of live and one that we're working on. Um, The Norwegian Refugee Council, provides many things for refugees, but one of the things they provide is legal services. If we pick a geography um, uh, like Iraq, where we're dealing with refugees and displaced people, there are four million people uh, in that country and the adjacent areas that need access to legal services. Now, these legal services for your listeners are pretty basic things. It's about getting identity for their newborn child, Mm -hmm. filing a death certificate, getting access to benefits that they're not getting access to uh, through legal channels. Um, but NR, the Norwegian Refugee Council only has so many lawyers. And so the technology that we're building with them is a chatbot-based platform that allows for a more intelligent interaction with the refugees so that we can direct them more precisely to the specific legal services that they need within NRC, allowing their lawyers to scale more effectively. Prior to the chatbot technology, uh, you know, the lawyers were having to triage each individual case and then route it to the correct specialist. With our technology, we're able and, and, and working towards being able to do that in a much more precise way, reducing the lead time um, that it takes to, to render those uh, legal services and allowing these, these uh, lawyers on the NRC side to scale up. Um, with another organization, we're working on actually uh, child identification for reunification. And so, you know, we talk a lot uh, about AI and, and ethics and some of the challenges that we face around uh, facial recognition, for sure, right? right? And that, that, that's, those are real challenges. Uh, but in this case, we're using facial recognition uh, to really drive a positive outcome. Uh, where we're able uh, through machine vision uh, and image matching to, to uh, measure the symmetry of a child's face and match that to a database of potential parents. Now, that child may have been uh, dislocated as there was a movement within the camp. For one reason or, or another, they can't find their parent um, in, these, in these camps uh, and resettlements, and they're using technology to match make uh, that child back to that parent and drive reunification more efficiently. Uh, the legal example that you gave sounds very similar to the kinds of things we see on the commercial side with organizations using chatbots to provide support. Uh, That's right. Are there particular uh, challenges with, with this particular application of chatbot technology, of these kinds of technologies that are unique to uh, the specific use case? You know, um, I don't know so much as challenges as there is a lot of demand. You know, the the one thing a a nonprofit is constrained on is resource, right? right? They're typically not constrained on the demand for their service, uh, given the the magnitude of the challenges they're working. Um, We're working with another organization as an example 
on a, um, a, a, a emergency services chatbot. It's called a 211 chatbot that allows this organization to better direct their beneficiaries to the right emergency services in time of disaster. And prior to the implementation of this technology, and this, this one is actually in flight right now, so it's not fully implemented, um, you know, their, their uh, 211 lines were just getting overwhelmed. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we're seeing many different applications of chatbot technology that allows nonprofits to scale their services and more precisely, it's all about matching, more precisely matching the demand in the moment to the expert that can solve it without that intermediary triage process that nonprofits can't afford to do. Uh, and so there's a real efficiency gain there. Does the typical nonprofit have the technical sophistication to be able to uh, kind of absorb the the solutions that you're proposing for them, or does that create an ongoing challenge for them? And you know, because they are, these AI systems, right? Yeah. They need maintenance. They it's, do. You can't just they, th- throw them out there right. and they'll run forever. At, you know, with uh, without fine tuning and and, um, and ongoing maintenance. How? What kinds of challenges do you see there uh, in delivering this kind of technology to nonprofits? Great question, and uh, you know, not nonprofit is a is a tax code, uh, and right. so you have this absolutely enormous spectrum of organizations. There are about four million absolutely. nonprofits, we believe. Ninety nine percent of those organizations are less than fifty people. Mm-hmm. Half of those organizations have anybody in IT or any formal IT funding, mm-hmm. right? And so there is very limited capacity in the ecosystem overall. Kind of number one. Um, so then how do we think about AI and humanitarian action? Well, one of the qualifying criteria for applying for a grant um, and leveraging the services that we're providing is that you do have resources on the other end um, that not only can maintain the model, but can work with us to build and, and organize the model. You have the data, and the data is also available because you can't do much without the data. And so an organization needs to be ready uh, to use these kinds of tools. We do envision a world, though. Uh, I should mention every one of these tools, like the 211 chatbot capability or the NRC chatbot capability that I talked about, we, we're abstracting and, 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 and putting those patterns and practices and code on GitHub. So any other organization, nonprofit organization that maybe have this a same or similar scenario can access that, can download it, and can start, can, can start using it. Uh, we're making investments with nonprofits to build their technology capacity. We imagine a world where, um, you know, in the future, nonprofits are able to go to GitHub, they're able to get training, and they're able to start using uh, these technologies. But we've got a long way to go. Uh, there, there's only a fraction of the organizations today that have the capacity to really put this uh, into practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the talent aspect of this is a huge challenge, right? It's often difficult for large enterprises to compete with you know the microsoft's of the world the google's of the world uh for talent or the the silicon valley companies for for talent um and it's even harder for the typical absolutely uh and so i'm curious are there you you mentioned uh, education is that a big part of your charter to provide educational resources to to these types of organizations It, it is and in fact you know for anybody in the nonprofit community listening, I think it'd be fair to say most people work at 
in a nonprofit environment because they are mission driven and they believe in the right. mission, right? And that's why you get paid less often uh, and still work, you know, 60, 70, 80, hour, 80 hours a week because you're passionate about refugees or the environment or health or child protection. Um, and part of my charter is building capacity uh, in these nonprofit organizations um, and actually building capacity with their beneficiaries. Um, uh, we're, we're working on a number of different programs using Imagine Academy and other content we have and creating some new offerings that will help do that for nonprofits in a very affordable way. And we've made investments with organizations like UNICEF, uh, as an example, that, as you know, has a mission around child protection. Uh, to create platforms that will deliver digital skills uh, as well as a broad range of educational experiences for uh, 75 million children around, around the world who are on the move. Uh, uh, children that are, that are migrants, internally displaced refugees. So we're focused actually at both ends to build capacity at both ends through our philanthropic tool, philanthropic uh, programs rather. Uh, so we talked through some examples on the refugee side, uh, on the disaster recovery side. Uh, what are you? What have you seen there? Yeah, you know. So I, I highlighted two. Um, one was that World Bank famine prediction tool. Mm -hmm. Another is helping organizations respond uh, to to demand. That's the United the the two one one platform okay. that we talked about. Um, but we're also helping organizations. Uh, um, organize their volunteers more effectively. So there's one organization uh, here in the United States that mobilizes a whole lot of volunteers during disaster time, particularly when earthquakes strike or hurricanes hit. And you need to know what your volunteers are certified on. What equipment can they use? Can mm -hmm. they use chainsaws? Can they use forklifts? Can they drive bulldozers to help clear the debris, to help uh, rebuild? Uh, we're using OCR technology. Uh, to automate um, the, the assessment and identification of certifications for their volunteer base that extends well beyond 80,000 volunteers all around the nation. So they know precisely who has which skill and can be deployed uh, to which, which location. Um, we're also working with an um, organization uh, that's working on an open mapping platform. Now, this open, map, open mapping platform is used during times of disasters to help uh, first responders pinpoint where to focus. But as you know, the map before a disaster is very different than the map after a disaster. And we're using AI and some ML models to better ingest images and assess buildings and building damage to figure out what's changed uh, pre-disaster to post-disaster most significantly relative to building structure? And how should, how should first responders plan their engagements and their interventions based on where we see the most damage? Um, so that's another example of, uh, of technology that we're building there. Can you elaborate on that one? Is that based on uh, on vision it or is. satellite yep. imagery or what are it the is. data sources there? Yeah. Well, this let me explain the process here. The, 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 this organization uh, uses uh, volunteers, and I'm, I'm saying this organization because we're not public yet. Uh, okay. So that's why whenever I say that, it's because it's not a public case yet. Uh, uses volunteers to take new satellite imagery and trace that on to to uh, to, to the map. Um, they have uh, local volunteers that add additional details to the map: neighborhoods, street names, buildings, 
evacuation centers. And then humanitarian organizations use that in response. Now we're adding machine vision into that equation to do to automate and expedite the uh, damage assessment on buildings, as an example, in that process. And so the, the first responders have this continually updating feed of mapping information that's some of it's being generated by AI using machine vision to assess buildings. Some of it's being generated by local volunteers that are drawing a street where a street no longer exists and says, this is where the school was. Uh, and that allows uh, these first responders to pinpoint damage much more effectively and in real time to deploy those resources in the right mm -hmm. way. Uh, it makes me think of just the, the use of maps. Like we all in navigating our daily lives now use maps constantly and in a situation like uh, where a disaster has occurred, those maps aren't really useful. So in addition to assessing building damage, just the ability to effectively route in an environment like that uh, has to be a challenge. Uh, I don't know if that's part of the initiative that you're working on with this organization, well, but... It, it, you know, the, yeah, it's, um, resource optimization as a topic is, you know, mm -hmm. that was where AI in, in many ways, uh, 20 years ago, my first AI project was supply <laughs> chain optimization uh, uh, using, a, using a platform. And, and that is, that is a, a core and critical issue for organization. To give you an example of how we're applying that technology, uh, we're actually applying that technology in supporting refugees. And, and this mm -hmm. is a public case. This is with uh, the Danish Refugee Council, who's deploying Dynamics 365 finance and operations. So they've deployed that module. And we've deployed that module so that we're able to optimize how they're delivering aid, food, water, wash, basic shelter. Um, because if they can get that aid delivered on time and accurately around the camps that they're managing, and believe me, that's a tough problem because demands are always changing, supply, supply positions are always changing. And if you don't get it right, their lives are at stake. They've got to get that right. And when they do, they can focus on providing higher level services, counseling, job creation, business creation, once they get those basic needs taken care of. And so building AI, as you know, AI is not just a thing that's Azure Cognitive Services. It's woven into the fabric of all of our platforms at Microsoft, including Dynamics. And back to your question of, well, how can nonprofits really take advantage of AI I'm, I'm highlighting some really specialized use cases here. Mm -hmm. But if you think about AI built into our Microsoft 365 platforms or our Dynamics platforms in this particular example, um, it becomes a much um, more palatable uh, engine to, to leverage for, for nonprofits in the way that they're running their missions right. and optimizing their dis distribution of supply in this case. Uh, so you've already mentioned... Uh the uh, Danish organization working with refugees, a Norwegian organization working with refugees. Yep. And I think in both cases, they were managing camps. Do you happen to have any stats on the, the number of camps, the number of people in camps, just the scope of the, the challenge on a global basis? Well, I, I don't have the number of camps. I was just um, in a camp in Kakuma, in northeast corner of uh, Kenya. We, we flew in to really get on the ground and understand the issues of the camp um, and it, you know you get on the ground and there's 20 in Kakuma there are between 28 and 32 different NGOs all serving this camp now Kakuma was 150,000 people in this camp mm. um, and it, it was built for a capacity of about a hundred thousand so it was it was bursting at the seams 
And the opportunity that we saw there was how do we start to help these organizations think about a common data model and a common set of platforms, Microsoft or non-Microsoft, that can interoperate so that when they're serving refugees, they're able to coordinate better. So Ahmed, who may be a refugee there in Kakuma, um, we're able to understand all of the services and all the organizations that are supporting him and which interventions are helping him get access to, to economic opportunity and, and, and a better livelihood. Mm-hmm. Back to your question, though, um, I mentioned that there's 68 million um, pe- displaced people and refugees. We can fact check this, but it's about 28 million refugees and 40 million internally displaced people. Most of them are not in camps. Mm-hmm. Most of them are in urban environments and in cities. And that makes the challenge that much harder for um, you know the these refugee organiz- aid organizations like the Danish Refugee Council or the Norwegian Refugee Council to to support them. But the services that we're building, these chatbot services, the predictive services that we're building, will operate within the confines of a camp or operate also in a, in an urban environment. So we've talked about two of the four already. Uh, why don't we take? Uh, why don't we? Uh, talk a little bit about the needs of children and work you're doing. Perfect. Um, yeah, this is a really interesting category of work that we're doing, and it does intersect with the work we're doing on human rights as well. So you'll see that bleed over. Um, one area of work we're doing is with an organization called Operation Smile. Operation Smile uh, works with uh, children in low-income markets and communities around the world and provides uh, cleft palate and cleft lip surgery. For the listeners that may not know what that is, that is a, a facial uh, deformity that children are born with um, that impacts their ability, in fact, to latch onto their mother and get nutrients. Uh, it impacts medical conditions like hearing. Uh, it creates, uh, obviously, dental issues, but it also creates a massive social stigma um, for, for these children. Um, the, the challenge that Operation Smile has is they're mobilizing plastic surgeons from all over the world, from Johannesburg to L.A., to provide surgeries, uh, life-changing surgeries for these children. Um, but these surgeons are operating in, in hospitals that they're not accustomed to. Uh, they're operating with equipment that they may not be using every day. And they're doing surgeries that are uh, unique for them uh, often. And so they need feedback, and they need feedback in real time. The old process that Operation Smile had was to take a picture of the child before surgery, take a picture after surgery, send it to an evaluator, and a month later, the doctor got feedback. Um, The new process that we've implemented is uh, we're able to take a picture before the surgery, take a picture after the surgery, and right in that moment, uh, we're using machine vision to actually score the severity prior to surgery of that cleft palate or cleft lip, how severe is it, We score the quality of the uh, post-surgical photo, and we're analyzing a whole bunch of dimensions, looking at facial symmetry, um, uh, how clean the cleft palate is now now, uh, connected, um, and there's a score that's provided uh, post-surgery. That's brought into a database in the Power BI view where we're able to see the scores of all other surgeons performing a similar procedure. Does two things provides that surgeon feedback in real time on on how they're doing, but also allows them to match make a mentor that may be doing a better job on that particular surgical procedure, 
get on the phone before their next surgery, which, which may be scheduled in 45 minutes, get some tips on, on the technique, and then go back into that theater and improve that next child's outcome right then and right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a, a pretty, pretty cool uh, case. Um, it is, and taking a step back, we've we've kind of already honed in on a couple of I don't know use case areas for AI. We talked about kind of this resource optimization in the sense of um, you know mapping or or making these organizations more internally efficient, uh, and then this uh, this use case as well as the volunteer onboarding one kind of speak to the ability to use AI to better connect people within an organization or better, um, you know, allow these organizations to better make use of their, you know, human resources. Yep. Um, I guess in this case, the volunteers may or may, the, the surgeons may or may not be working on a volunteer basis. They're uh, all volunteers. They're all volunteers. Yep. So, yep. you know, it's another kind of volunteer management uh, type of an application. And you know, it also has echoes onto the enterprise side. It does, it right? does. I'm really just making an observation no, out No, I, I like, and, you're uh, helping me with our strategy, in fact. I love it, I love it. Well, may, and maybe there's a third use, use scenario here, which is the next one uh, in, the, in, in terms of the needs of children. And this is about deep learning. This is about using Bayesian networks and deep learning to try to identify patterns that we couldn't previously see. Um, so infant mortality is still a major, major, major issue in both developed markets and developing markets, more in developing. Um, and SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, is one of the number one drivers of infant mortality. It's been around for forever, um, and it's 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 incredible how little we know about what's driving SIDS. Um, with a partnership, what's driving its what's driving its prevalence, or what's the underlying cause? What's the underlying cause? What's dr- mm. what? Well, both actually. Mm. What 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 are the risk factors that create a propensity for SIDS? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then when we have identified those risk factors, what can we do differently with that child in order to minimize um, the, the potential outcomes, right? Um, so in partnership with the uh, Seattle Children's Hospital, um, our data science team led by John Cahan, uh, who's very passionate about this topic. In fact, he lost a son to SIDS. Um, pulled a massive database that existed. And it, it turns out, uh, that we have a record for every child born uh, in the United States that dates back to, I'll get the date wrong, but it's you know some, somewhere in the 80s. Um, and that record has a whole bunch of attributes uh, in terms of child's uh, weight, uh, height, uh, as, as, as a wide range of attributes. And those attributes were never really fully analyzed to figure out what was the causation and correlation between all of these different attributes and sudden infant death outcomes. The team ingested all of this data uh, into Azure uh, and used our machine, learn- machine learning tools, and in particular, one particular uh, Bayesian network technique uh, to analyze the data and to start to understand the correlative factors. Um, through this analysis, they were able to get a whole bunch of insights, and I think it would be worth bringing John on the show to talk about the depth of the, of the insights, but able to pinpoint down to the cigarette 
how it increases the risk factor for a child, how an individual cigarette creates, increases the risk factor for a child relative to SIDS. Um, it's also, this body of work has also led to new innovations that they're pursuing. Um, we know that a child with SIDS uh, is at much higher risk when it lays on its tummy, mm -hmm. right? But when you're a parent, you're tired, you haven't slept, for days, uh, you know, you're out of the room. How do you know if your child's on their stomach? Well, John's looking into uh, machine vision technology that's able to recognize where, whether a child's on their back or their stomach and provide an alert to the parent so they can flip the child back over. Mm -hmm. um, and so a couple of, of really neat use cases and ongoing analysis. This analysis has just started and the fruit has just started to be born from the work uh, that will hopefully help um, you know, really provide effective remedies to SIDS long range. So th those are two examples of, uh, of uh, you know, the work that we're doing in needs of children and maybe another kind of scenario here that we're, we're talking about. I'm curious about that last one. I've talked to other folks working in clinical environments or with data captured at hospitals and it's historically very difficult to get access to for a variety of concerns, uh, the most obvious being privacy concerns. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any you know, additional insights or context as to what that process was like uh, in, the, in the context of this project. I think John would probably be the best to answer okay. that, but the research was conducted with a partner, uh, Seattle Children's Hospital. I think mm -hmm. a lot of it was executed through the partner and we provided the AI capabilities on the back end, but John would be able Got to it. provide every detail on that topic. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure. Okay, so uh, human rights. Yeah, so human rights. Um, this is a wide topic. Um, to give you a sense of what we're doing there, I'll give you uh, three quick examples. Social sentiment analysis is something that we use in marketing uh, each and mm -hmm. every day, right? Understanding uh, feeds from the news, understanding feeds from uh, uh, social networks, and uh, understanding uh, what, they're, what they're telling us about our company. But what are they telling us about our cause? Right? If our cause is to understand capital punishment and where capital punishment is occurring around the world and whether there's been due process uh, around capital punishment, um, sometimes you need to fine tune those social sensing tools. Uh, so we're working with one organization that's, that's a, their core business model is advocacy for human rights and giving them a platform to analyze all of these data feeds uh, and uh, to, to leverage a, a keyword model like capital punishment, death, execution, um, and many other words that we use uh, to start to understand um, what, what, is the, what is the frequency that we're seeing around the world in countries that have historically underreported it? Well, guess what? It's typically in the news or it's in uh, the social uh, blogosphere. Um, and what is the sentiment in that country and how can they better shape their advocacy? So that's one example of what we're doing in, in human rights. Um, another example is we're working with an organization to analyze um, Syrian war crimes videos. Uh, and there we're using machine vision uh, to uh, identify uh, and match uh, known war criminals uh, to crimes that are captured uh, through, through, through this footage. Um, and then the third and maybe more uh, intricate uh, is example here is the work we're doing 
on human trafficking. And human trafficking is a massive, massive criminal industry and problem. And particularly sex trafficking is. It's, it's something that uh, doesn't seem to get talked about enough given how pervasive the challenge is. Here we're using um, technology to both disrupt uh, the, the demand for sex work uh, as well as the supply. And the way we're doing that in, in partnership with organizations like uh, Seattle Against Slavery and other organizations, uh, we're using chatbot technology on, on the demand side of this, of this challenge uh, to engage would-be buyers. Uh, and our chatbot um, poses as a sex worker, engages that would-be buyer in a dialogue, uh, and ultimately, based on that conversation, will direct that person to resources, but also let that person know um, that they've been engaged by an organization, a, a anti-sex uh, trafficking organization. Um, so that's on the demand side. On the supply side, um, typically these girls and boys who are in this industry are posting their services in a, in a wide range of places on the, on the web and on the dark web. Well, we're building tools that allow um, organizations like Seattle Against Slavery to scrape and find these, or these individuals. Typically, these individuals will have multiple phone numbers and they'll, they'll encode those phone numbers with different hashtags and symbols um, so that they're not easily machine readable. Well, we we've decode we we were able able to crack that and decode that, and that provides social workers um, the we created a platform that provides social workers the ability to um, blast messages out uh, to this community of uh, sex workers uh, to let them know there's resources to let them know that there's somebody on the other end of the line that will help provide them support um, and. From, from those engagements, which are tip, typically done over text messaging, set up a intervention meeting where they can help uh, these folks get the services they need to get out of the sex trafficking industry, get the protective services they need, uh, and, and change the, the course of their life. Um, so an interesting blend of technologies there used by, by organizations. Hmm. You know, based on my experience with working with uh, nonprofits, one of the things they are very good at is assessment, assessment of uh, the their own pro programs and projects and uh, their ability to actually make impact on the communities that they serve. Uh, assessment and evaluation is also critical for AI-based systems. Uh, I'm curious whether in your experience, there are unique challenges associated with the ongoing assessment of the effectiveness of AI in these contexts, or um, you know, are the evaluation challenges the same as you might find in you know enterprise contexts or other places? Or are there, you know, do you need to work with these organizations to kind of connect the way they measure the the success of their programs with the the AI tooling? Yeah, I think um, just to back out up for one, one second, I think many organizations still struggle with connecting their activity to the end outcome. Like for those, those mm -hmm. refugees that we've been talking about during this conversation, we want to improve their livelihood. We want them right. to have jobs. We want them to have a productive life and a productive family. Um, but, but oftentimes organizations are kind of stuck measuring, you know, how many – 
aid packages did we deliver to this location? Not did we transform somebody's life? We just kind of, mm -hmm. we kind of make that, a, that assumptive step. So I think there's two things that we're actually doing in, in that area to, to close that gap. One is um, in, our, in our Dynamics 365 platform, we've been making some really significant investments uh, in that platform for nonprofits. And it's important when you think about Dynamics 365 to think about just how critical it is for nonprofits. At the front end of a nonprofit, you're fundraising, you're managing your volunteers, those are your core resources, you're managing beneficiaries and beneficiary cases, you're delivering programs and measuring their impact. All of that is based and rooted in CRM logic and capabilities. Mm -hmm. On the back end, you're managing finance, operations, HR, all of that is rooted in an ERP logic and capability. And what you ultimately want to understand is what is the cost or the efficacy per outcome that I'm trying to generate. And that is a really hard bridge to cross. So to cross that, we're, we've invested in a common data model on top of Dynamics 365 for the nonprofit industry, hmm. uh, designing it specifically for the industry, with the industry. So we have institutional donors, private donors, like Gates, DFID, um, large nonprofits and small nonprofits that have helped us co-create this common data model. The common data model sits on GitHub so that the world can use it and so that we're not the only platform running it because the more platforms that consume that data model, the better and more interoperable we can make those platforms. Meaning can use it anywhere, not just Dynamics? Yeah, it's on GitHub, right? Okay. It's a schema, okay. right? Um, but Dynamics consumes it as a first-class citizen, of course. We built it, we want to consume it and use mm -hmm. it. On top of that data model, we're building connectors, templates, and sample apps that are really igniting partners to build really cool finished solutions. But what one thing that's core in the data model is unlike other models that have been built before, they've been built really with fundraising in mind. They started kind of as a right. CRM sales management tool and then built with fundraising in mind. We built ours with program management, program delivery, and outcome measurement in mind. Mm -hmm. So very specifically, and we're doing a lot of work on benchmarking best practices on outcome management, outcome metrics, as well as program that's built in uh, to, this, to this data model. Um, so on top of that, as I was saying, partners like Avanade, like Blackbaud, uh, Classy Flux, and others, uh, Amhance, are building solutions that finish solutions that they can deliver to nonprofits. We think there are some very interesting AI scenarios to get back to the topic, to, to, to leverage the data in those models and leverage our intelligent cloud compute infrastructure to help nonprofits be able to draw a straighter line between right. that global, that, that package of aid that they delivered in that refugee camp to refugee outcomes right. and the cost per outcome. And that's, if, you, if you'd say, what's the one thing that you're working on? What's the single most important thing that you're trying to do in your team right now? There's many, but it is helping organizations much more clearly understand that uh, causation and correlation between their activities, the outcomes they're driving, so they can tune and modify their programs to have an even greater mm -hmm. outcome, right? And AI yeah. is key to that. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and you did a great job at you know picking up on uh, kind of the, the kernel of an idea that I, I was trying to get out there. It, you tend to see a lot of 
a lot of activity focused on evaluation, mostly because it's part of, you know, many of these organizations are grant funded. The yeah. grantors all have, you know, program evaluation components of their grants. So they, you know, are kind of constantly, you know, working on evaluation. But there On a is, treadmill, in fact. On a treadmill, <laughs> right. But there is this gap between, you know, the metrics that they, uh, that they have access to and can use and the actual impact to the point that you're uh, to, to your point uh, that they hope to make in the whatever community that they're serving and it does uh, strike me that AI could have a could play a huge role there in its ability to you know look in kind of a broad spectrum way at this constituent and identify patterns right a big That's part right. of what deep learning for example is great at is in our situations where we can't really figure out the rules it's fuzzy it's fuzzy yeah. right but we can you know based on uh data we can train a model to identify the success case that's right I mean, that would be huge for many organizations it, it is and and just two things to add to that this morning i was on a call with the ceo of uh, mission measurement and what mission measurement is focused on is um what 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 he calls uh, the outcome genome, but essentially a, a framework of outcomes that really denote uh, social impact. And, and, and if you go to Mission Measurement's website, you'll see they on, on the website, they have uh, 132 outcomes predict and correlate to 80% of the social impact that we drive. So it's a standard hmm. dictionary for how we can think about these outcomes okay. by industry. You map that to a to a, a common data model and and a deep data repository with these nonprofits, and in between you're able to leverage AI. Now you're cooking with gas in right. terms of helping organizations really understand the impact you, you're having, and you have a common language to start to describe globally what is the dollar per outcome that organization A is able to provide and organization B is able to provide, and how do we help them optimize those things? We're actually applying that same genome to our work. So the question mm -hmm. I ask myself is, hey, how is Dynamics? How is these the, are, are these AI solutions actually moving the dial? Great stories, Justin, but how many kids were actually, were, were, how many life-changing surgeries actually improved because of those uh, optical recognition technologies that you're talking about? Um, we're, we're working on, on, on building out that, that, that platform capability to, to, to tell our story too. Okay, okay. So a couple of questions for you, uh, or maybe one question with, from a couple of perspectives. Uh, and the question is, to your point, lots of great stories here, lots of great opportunity to apply AI for humanitarian action and for social good more broadly. Uh, I'm wondering if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm you know, at a nonprofit or an organization that's you know, focused on providing uh, services to these communities or other communities, uh, you know, how do I you know, get started from your yeah. perspective and taking advantage of AI? Uh, and then the flip side of that is if I'm an individual that's not, you know, not working on your team at Microsoft or not working in one of these organizations, but sees the need, you know, maybe has some skill in this area and wants to jump in. I'm curious what, uh, you know, if, if you've seen anything, uh, you know, any organizations that you work with or, you know, any suggestions you would have for folks that uh, want to help. Uh, just... To, to kind of peel back that question, um, 
the the starting point for for AI, I think, is is having a well defined use case. And uh, you know, we we kind of get fixated on the shiny object and of AI and and uh, all of its glory, but we we um, can often forget that um, what we're re- what we're really trying to do is solve problems here, right? And so, you know, as an organization thinks about getting started, what are the problems they're trying to solve? What 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 um, analysis are they trying to predict or understand? And the World Bank is a really good example where there was a pretty well-defined use cases about uh, food insecurity prediction with a core data set and a common uh, common model. The second thing an organization needs to have as they start to head down the AI path is data and data and data. Um, now there are ways to solve AI problems with some advanced modeling techniques, but um, in general, um, we need to solve these challenges, a pretty significant data set, a pretty decent data set. And so do you, have, do you, have, do you have a well-defined use case and do you have the data set behind that use case? And then the third is starting to build some skill. And uh, we're putting, as a company, a number of different programs to the, uh, together uh, to build skills and training uh, for folks. Um, but I do think uh, we have an opportunity uh, to work with partners uh, in the sector. Um, uh, Revel, uh, KPMG, Avanade are all building competencies. They all have social business practices. Accenture has a social business practice uh, to help nonprofits um, uh, supplement their skills with great AI talent. And then everything that we're building here, uh, everything that we can, we're going to be putting on GitHub. The end game, in my, in my view, is that we've got a toolkit of hundreds of tools. Not all, not all that we have built, but the community is building too, that can be compiled together into this toolkit, an AI for humanitarian action, four core scenarios, depending on what you're working on, you can pull, pull from that toolkit uh, to either be inspired or leverage that AI pattern directly for your particular use case. There are no magic bullets, though. I mean, there's mm-hmm. not, there's no way, there's, there's no uh, uh, magic bullet other than um, I think those those four or five things. Mm-hmm. It does strike me in thinking about the the organizations and the their constituents that you know we're working with potentially you know under resourced organizations or less sophisticated organizations. Not always, uh, but often. Yeah, and vulnerable communities and uh, that. Uh, brings to mind the whole uh, concept of ethical use of AI. Uh, and I would imagine that you would, as an organization that's kind of bringing this technology to them, um, you, know, you have a responsibility to ensure that they are using it correctly. Uh, to what extent does that come up and how have you addressed that in your engagements? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, ethics is a, and AI is a very hot issue at Microsoft in general, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of our work is to demonstrate to the world the good that AI can do, which is why we have initiatives like AI for Humanitarian Action. But at Microsoft, uh, you know, we've invested in um, AI for Ethics framework. Uh, and that, that framework was... Uh, published out uh, by Brad Smith and Harry Shum in the Future Computed Body of Work. And it's, it's a book. You can find it online. It outlines six core principles. Um, I won't go into them in detail, but 
fairness, reliability, privacy and security, inclusiveness, transparency, and accountability are all, and each of those is kind of a discussion, I think. They're mm-hmm. all core to um, designing AI in, in a way that respects the security and the privacy of that SIDS patient record that we talked about right. earlier or that refugee record uh, that we talked about earlier. Now that framework um, is being put together uh, in, and it has been put together in, in, into an ethical design guide that all of our engineering teams adhere to as we think about building products or services or engaging in these projects as well. Uh, we also have an internal advisory committee that looks at major new product releases and new technology releases and ensures that they follow those ethical standards that we're designing it in the right way. So, so in short, we have to apply those to the products that we're building, but we also have to apply those to the engagements that we're leading, and, right. we, and we do. And that serves as our North Star compass point to make sure that we're, we're doing things that are advancing society, that are inclusive for everyone, that are safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Well, Justin, I'm really excited about the work you're doing, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us about it. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? Well, just uh, that we're really excited uh, to support the nonprofit community, these mission-driven organizations. Um, We're going to leverage that social business model that we have to continue to dial our investments up and into Uh, this community, building more AI patterns and practices, investing in dynamics to make it increasingly more useful and potent, helping um, benchmark uh, best practices and processes for the sector and contribute that to the sector. And we're really excited uh, about um, what that can do. And ultimately, we're excited about uh, working with these organizations to move that dial on that first thing that we talked about, which are those sustainable development goals, mm-hmm. and and really, um, you know, leveraging everything that we can do at Microsoft, our products, our technology, our people, to lean in with these mission-driven organizations to close that gap we see. Uh, and you know, if we do our job right, we'll be sitting here in 2030 talking about a little bit of a, a different and hopefully a much better world. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Justin. All right. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit TwimmelAI.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.